own values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks so much for being here. A great conversation this morning with Akil Davis. Uh, Mr. Davis is the uh, special agent in charge of the Phoenix field office of the FBI and a very compelling story. Um, He is... um, from Arizona. He was raised in Mesa, said he went to Dobson High School, graduated from USC, has also a, a master's, I believe, from NAU, played football at USC. I'm sorry, UCLA. Ooh, he better not hear me say USC. He was a UCLA grad. I apologize if he's listening. Um, but he is a UCLA graduate. And had a great career around the world with the FBI, but ended up being the special agent in charge here. And I heard him speak at an event a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he was on a panel that I was kind of facilitating, and it was so compelling. Um, you know, on this show, we talk quite a bit about law enforcement, and we feature some of the things they do, and I talk a lot about what they do. What we've never really done, now, I, with all due respect to my friend Steve Hooper, who spent over 30 years with the FBI, that's where I get a lot of insight. But we've not had Steve on in the capacity of talking about the FBI much. It was more about his experience and how it plays out today in security and private business and private industry with his company. This was specifically with Mr. Davis was about uh, talking about the Super Bowl and other major events and how they are able to um, to um, cover all of the ground that needs to be covered to make things safe. So I asked him how it was going here, and he talked about the number of Super Bowls that have been here in Arizona and how each one poses a different problem. Each year, each you know seven-year iteration presents a new a new problem. Um, the things that we're dealing with in the cyber cybersecurity lane this year, we weren't necessarily dealing with in 2008. The things we were dealing with in 2015, such as um, uh, the two-legged threat, we like to say, active shooter and any kind of firearms-related issues. We're dealing with those, but we also have um, counter-drone issues that we're dealing with um, dealing with this year. So the planning for this takes anywhere from 12 to 18 months each iteration. So uh, talking about that 18-month, I was, I was at an event last night for the Visiting, visiting Public Safety, v, VPSO is what it's called, Visiting Public Safety Officers Convention that's in town. And it's, uh, it's kind of uh, the Super Bowl city that's hosting invites the next couple of cities that are hosting to come and watch the NFL at work with local law enforcement and local fire departments, all public safety parts of this, and kind of a coordinated effort, almost a passing of the baton. And uh, I was able to uh, meet with the ASAC, the uh, assistant special agent in charge, and had a little conversation with him about the planning of this. And I will tell you that what goes in from the mile high background view from the FBI to the local law enforcement that will be involved. And it is not just Phoenix. It is certainly is not just Glendale. And at the Waste Management or the WM Phoenix Open, it is not just Scottsdale. So this takes a coordinated effort with agencies all over. And let's not leave out all of these events are happening where? Maricopa County. Let's not leave out the Sheriff's Office and the work they have to do in their county because they are all of those places. 
You know, so the sheriff's office has Scottsdale. Is that's Maricopa County as well, just like Glendale on the opposite side of town. So he talked about the you know the new new technology, and uh, he talked about what Arizona does very well in preparing for these things. But one of the things we do well here in Arizona is the partnerships. Uh, our partnerships here in the public safety lane is is very very strong. So for us to get together and exercise those things and kind of test our our plans um, is is very easy to do, and we've been doing that for about the last twelve to eighteen months. And that plays into this uh, comment. He was talking about working together and how this coordinated effort works well. I, I got to be honest; I've never seen it work this well any anywhere else that that I've been. Really, everybody kind of relies on everyone's expertise and their experience in doing this. So, uh, depends on what the what the threat is, how quickly we can get it contained, and who's got the best assets and resources in place to handle it. And to your point, you're absolutely right. There is no ego involved uh, when it comes to the interests of the, of the public and keeping people safe. And it's interesting whether it's the police chief in Glendale, um, who was at the event last night. You had uh, uh, the chief police chief from Phoenix, uh, the police chief from Scottsdale. So Chief Sullivan and Chief Walther were there at this meeting. And it is not about ego. It is about public safety. So I, I just thought this was an interesting look into what they do at the FBI. And one of the things I asked him, because it was fascinating to me, I never thought about this. And no one wants to think about this, but it's something they have to plan for. And that is, if the decision has to be made, if something happens that's bad enough, who makes that decision to pull the plug and say, nope, it's over? So that would be um, basically a, a coordinated uh, decision. We're in unified command for this for this incident. So everyone from Mike Sullivan at Phoenix PD to Chief, Chief Briggs to our HSI and ATF counterparts. So not one single person is going to make that decision. Um, it depends on what the incident is, the size of it, and how quickly we can get it continued. Um, how that decision would be made. And so um, the message I got from him the day I saw him speak at a uh, leadership and policing event, also the county attorney was there. So you add in the other factor and a prosecutor and a prosecutor from Yavapai County was there. Um, It is one of those opportunities to see leadership and how they work together, the symbiotic relationship of law enforcement. And uh, so as you are out, whether you're going out to the open or you're doing any of the events for the Super Bowl, whether it's the the NFL experience or going to the game itself or these big events, the concerts that are happening at Hans Park, it was an interesting picture of seeing them – Making sure that you don't see them there because they're doing their job. If you see them, something went wrong. And I just, I'm glad they're out there. I thought they deserve the recognition for the hard work they're doing. Coming up in a moment, we get you caught up on the biggest news stories of the day. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Been another major news day. Let's get you caught up. Did you hear this? Did you hear this? Broomhead's reaction to the hottest news stories. Special agent in charge of the FBI's Phoenix office, Akil Davis, says that while no Super Bowl security preparation is easy, it helps that Arizona has done this before. Each event uh, is unique. Now, we, we have the um, the luxury that we've done this several times here in Arizona. This is our fourth one, as we, as we discussed. How important is it to build upon old plans and embrace new techniques for major events? I think it's everything. I, I think the coordination that happens with the cities that are doing it this year. So, you know, Arizona... 
Arizona last year sent public safety to L.A. to follow and shadow and watch how L.A. did things. Now, this year, we've got uh, Las Vegas and uh, New Orleans here uh, showing them how we do things along with the NFL. And if there's two cities that are well-equipped for major events already, it's Las Vegas and it's New Orleans. But even they are here with their officers and police chiefs and and, and fire and, and rescue just as, to, as a precaution and to learn what they can. I think that relationship where everybody that does this for a living, starting with uh, Mr. Davis from the FBI and the ASAC and everybody else that's involved from the federal level to the other three-letter agencies to the police departments to the uh, DPS, the way they work together and take this seriously, wanting to make sure that this is a great experience where you can enjoy everything that's happening and not even consider or think about law enforcement because it's that safe. That's their goal. And I know for a fact they're doing everything to make that possible. It was such a great conversation with him. The House of Representatives has agreed to condemn China for the flying of a reconnaissance balloon over the United States. The yeas are 419, the nays are zero. Two-thirds being in the affirmative, the rules are suspended, the resolution is agreed to. If this has happened before, why has it taken so long to condemn them over this particular incident? I, I think part of the issue here is that it was how egregious it was, that it was traversing the entire continental United States. It was in the media for as long as it was. Um, and I think it got the attention of not just uh, the Americans, but the Canadians and NORAD as a whole. And then we're learning about this being an issue in other places, about other balloons that it's happened before. And I think they finally said enough is enough in an official way. It doesn't do anything more than say enough is enough, but I think it was important for them to say it. You are listening to Did You Hear This? We do it every day at 1120 to catch you up on the biggest news stories and headlines. CEO of St. Vincent de Paul, Shannon Clancy, says that a closed campus homeless shelter makes a huge difference in communities. And you have wraparound services available to you to make a plan in order to move forward. It's not the kind of shelter where you come in, you sleep for the night, and you go out in the community. That's really difficult for anybody to move forward. Do you think more people are inclined to want these types of shelters in their neighborhood? Um, I think once they have the conversation beforehand and they're included in it, yes. One of the comments that she made, that Shannon made to me before we went on the air, is talking about how that approach goes. That some people feel like their needs are being pushed aside for the needs of other people. And it, what they did in this in this aspect was they went to the community beforehand and they said, this is what we're doing. This is what we're thinking about. It's going to be a closed shelter. You're invited in any time you want. You, here's our phone number. Call us. But we're going to be good neighbors. And then the people embrace it and realize that you're making a difference in the community. So I do think that it is all about the approach to the neighbors and to the neighborhood. And I think they just did it the right way, which is why they're expanding to the second program in the city of Phoenix using that model because they know it works. I think it's phenomenal. In a blockbuster trade last night, the Phoenix Suns acquired Kevin Durant and T.J. Warren and gave up a massive haul, including four future first-round picks, Cam Johnson, Mikal Bridges, and Jay Crowder. It could go wrong, and it's quite the gamble, but it's an exciting one and one the Suns were wise to make. We'll see Kevin Durant in a Suns uniform soon enough. He'll become the best player to ever put on a Suns jersey. Will this trade carry the Suns to a championship? That's the question. You know, this the risk-reward here was worth it in the minds of Suns leadership, but we all have to remember that 
there's a risk here. You've given up your future. You've given up four first-round draft picks. You gave up some great players that were fans, fa- fan favorites that really had this team, you know, a playoff team. Uh, so you're taking a big risk on winning this year or next year. And if you don't, what does the fan base do? But if you win that championship and you bring the first Suns World Championship to Phoenix, I promise you they're going to say this was worth it. But it's a gamble. I mean, you have just, to, to use a poker term, you have just gone all in. You have just pushed your chips into the center of the table, and you're waiting for that card to come to see if you're a winner or not. And I, it's a good gamble, but man, that is a big gamble. Yeah, I'm excited for Suns fans because if nothing else, they are getting all eyes on the Phoenix Suns now. You got to count on a couple of things here. You got to count on Chris Paul staying healthy, Devin Booker staying healthy, a healthy team that keeps them in contention. All that's got to be true. The other thing you've got to be concerned about is one of the things that the Suns were known for is a good locker room. That the locker room chemistry, they were a fun team to watch because they seemed like a fun team that wanted to be around each other. Uh, I'm not saying Kevin Durant takes that away, but you are taking pieces out that everybody loved and you're putting pieces in that nobody knows how they fit in a locker room. So what does this do to the culture of the Suns, the feel of the Suns, and the relationship of those players on and off the floor? So those are two of the risks that you're taking. But again, if they made it, they had some thought in this. I promise you, from my very amateur chair and thinking this through, um, I guarantee you they've had a lot more deep thought in this than I did, but it's kind of amazing for the brand new owner to come in and in one day make this kind of a monster trade. He is either going to be a hero in the city of Phoenix or they're going to try to run this poor guy out of town at the very first year with the Suns. Coming up in a moment, um, we're going to talk about education because the aggregate expenditure limit was voted on yesterday in the legislature to be overridden. We'll talk about the implications next. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News, 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey, thanks for being here. And the story from AZ Central Arizona lawmakers have given a green light for school districts to spend all of the $7.8 billion the legislature gave them last year. Removing the prospect of major budget cuts in the final weeks of the school year. So this is good news for schools that they can now plan on using their full budgets for the school year. But it does not end the problems we have with education in Arizona. And so the the issue now will be um, the conversation that needs to be had. Here was um, the argument that was made. And I talked with uh, with Jake Hoffman from the uh, – Senator Hoffman from the uh, Freedom Caucus about this. And the Freedom Caucus was saying we're not voting for an override of the AEL as it's called, the Aggregate Expenditure Limit. We are not going to vote for that unless we have some serious conversations about change in education and accountability. And I didn't think they were wrong in wanting that. And then, of course, the pushback is you're playing chicken with education and you should just pass it. And But the problem is now, are we still going to have those conversations? If I were uh, Senator Hoffman and others from the Freedom Caucus, um, I would be screaming from the rooftops now and saying, listen, we did what they asked. We took them at their word. We did what they wanted to do. We made sure that the funding for education that was already allocated is now able to be spent. We overrode for the second year in a row the AEL. 
now it is important that they keep their word and we have these conversations about how we hold schools accountable and how uh, there is more accountability to parents, not to the legislature, but how it's easy for parents to see what's being taught, where money is being spent. This conversation about education is frustrating to me because I can see the politics from both sides coming a mile away. But the one argument that cannot be defeated right now is that Arizona schools are not educating children in the core areas of education where the expectation from parents is they will learn this. By the time you turn your five-year-old, generally speaking, in kindergarten, when they come out on the other end when they are 18, there are a set of skills that they are to have achieved, most important of which is reading and math. Now, along with those reading skills, I want you to think about this. Science, social studies, all of these other things that are being taught. History, is, I guess, would be a part of social studies. But all of these other classes that a student, we want them to have the skill set. The ability to pass a citizenship assessment so that the, you know that the same citizenship test that a naturalized citizen passes, that to pass something so you can understand the basics of American government. You can name the three branches of government and what they do. We can talk about Arizona and our propositional form of government. We can, all of these different things that we, we want kids to know, they can't unless they learn to read. So when you talk to a kindergarten teacher, first, second, third grade teacher, those formative years of a child's education, if they are promoted past the third grade and they cannot read at a third grade level, they are at a severe disadvantage for the rest of their life. It's not just that they're going to struggle of getting out of high school and maybe not get into college. They're going to struggle with everything. This is the seriousness of this conversation. So there are people out there on the other side of this conversation that are shouting about the value in programs like social emotional learning and how it's teaching kids things about emotion and and how to treat people and how to be treated and bullying. And we've got to have critical race theory in some people's minds. I don't even want to argue the value of the programs. I really don't. I, I, I don't know. I don't know the inner workings of the programs and how they work and what why there is a segment of a reasonable society. And if you think about it, there are reasonable people on both sides of this argument, educated, experienced in education people on one side of it say this needs to not be in our schools at all. And there's another side of this that says they absolutely should be a critical part of learning. I'm not going to argue that. But it's hard to argue with my point that until we are reading at grade level and performing math skills at grade level, third grade in reading, eighth grade in math. Why are we doing anything else? Um, I don't know the inner workings of the program in the Buckeye Elementary School District, but we had them on the show yesterday because as they talked about it, and I don't know what the programs are, but they talked about focus from the district level down to the school level, down to every single classroom. There is a they are on the same page with the importance of this is what the curriculum looks like. These are the expectations of what's going to be done this year. They even have students do assessments and they tell the student this is 
is where you are. This is where you need to be. And this is what you need to do to get there. And it comes from leadership at the district level to the principals in the schools to the teachers in the classroom. And at least that's what they're telling me is why they're having some of the success they are. And I would say to you that I've been not as concise as they stated it, but that's exactly what we've been preaching and others have been preaching as well, that there has to be a laser focus on the core of education to get kids up to grade level, to give them the skill set to learn. And then I'll be honest, if you can get kids in an elementary school at grade level at a much higher than 50 percent, if you're seeing 70, 75 percent of your students reading a grade level in third grade, then the conversation says, well, what other valuable things are there for kids? You know, it's we all live that in our personal life. There are things that we need to get done. There are the priorities that have to get done before you do the other things. When you're a little kid, your mom said, at least when I was a kid, you're not going outside with your friends until you clean your room. Now it's you're not doing video game. You're not playing video games until you do your homework. There are priorities that have to be set. When I was coaching football, we used the game of football as a carrot. We said to these young men, we said, you will not. And I think our our cheerleaders did the same thing. You will not participate in the games on Saturday unless you maintain a grade point average, uh, a B average. And you'd be surprised on kids at kids that didn't get very good grades because it wasn't an important thing to them that when you threaten to take something from them, they're brilliant and they can learn and they will learn. There are some kids that had to learn the hard way. You have to show up at football practice while your friends are practicing. You're sitting on. We did this. You're sitting at the picnic tables and you're going to sit with a coach while you do your homework. Oh, and by the way, Saturday, you're not playing, but you're still going to be there. You're going to put on a jersey and a pair of shorts and you're going to be a water boy. And you're going to watch your friends play in the game. And that's a tough lesson for a 10, 11, 12-year-old kid. But it sends a message of importance. And if we are to do that with kids in reading, A, make it fun, and B, make it a priority, I'll tell you, I was a terrible teenager. I was a terrible teenager when it came to school. I just wanted to grow up. I wanted to be an adult. I don't know why. I look back now and I'm a kid now. I'm more of a kid now than when I was 12. Um, I wanted so badly to grow up. School was not important to me. Working was. I regret it. I regret it deeply. But when I got eight, when I turned 18 and I went into the workforce and I found a career as an electrician, I had a skill set. I had those tools. I had the tool belt. Figuratively and literally, I had the tool belt to learn my craft and learn my trade and become a journeyman electrician and a business owner. When the opportunity came to have this career in front of me, again, I'm not lying when I say I barely had a high school diploma, but I'm well read. I read very well. I can retain what I read. I can convey a thought. Those skills were taught to me in elementary school. I didn't need them until I was 18 and then again in my 40s. These are the life lessons that we should take as adults. Kids, we have to protect them from themselves. And unless we make this concerted effort to make sure that we protect them from themselves, that they understand the priority of the skill set until they understand why it's important for themselves as adults, sometimes that's the best thing we can do for our kids. And it starts in the classroom with a teacher that puts an emphasis on it and gets the support they need from the administration at their school and from the administration of the district. That's the challenge.
Coming up in a moment, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, our conversation with St. Vincent de Paul and an opportunity for you possibly to get involved. We'll give you that coming up here in just a moment. Strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News app. Hey, uh, very quickly, I want to talk about my conversation with Shannon Clancy and an opportunity possibly for you to jump in and help in our community. But before I get to that, one more reason why you should lock it down to KTAR News and also download the KTAR News app. Um, there is a story up on KTAR News, just came out on Twitter. I just got it on the app. Um, they've made an arrest on the guy that stole that $100,000 worth of production equipment. Um, he's a 36-year-old named George Rodriguez. You want to read more details about this. Um, obviously, this happened a few days ago, but the Phoenix police and police working on this found a suspect they've arrested a suspect details at ktar.com and uh, check it out it's a it's a great story and a uh, good for the police um very quickly, uh, I, 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 I love St. Vincent de Paul and the diversity of what they do. And one of the things they do, and that I didn't really even talk about today, we focus so much on helping people that are suffering homelessness and hunger. We didn't talk about how they prevent people from being homeless in the first place. They have got a program called Angels on Call. Um, the goal is to help each other. Um, so St. Vincent de Paul, it, it's it's kind of like with ours, we have the Action Alliance here where we put the word out to you when someone is in need. And uh, when we have a project that's coming up and you can sign up at your convenience, they put you on a list and you let them know what you're able to give, if you're able to give, how often or how much. And when the need comes up, if somebody is uh, about to experience homelessness, be put out of their home, they can't pay a power bill, um, they have a breakdown of their car and they can't get to work and they don't have the money to fix the car. Whatever these needs are, they are verifying this need to make sure that it's a legitimate need. And when it's your turn on the list, you get a call and they say, hey, you've put yourself on the list for this amount of money. Are you able to do it? And if you're not, if you say, listen, I just had my AC fail at my house or whatever, um, They'll say, okay, no problem. Do you want to stay on the list? Yes, I would. Call me next time, please. They'll put you at the bottom of the list, and the next time you come up, it's your turn. And it's called Angels on Call. It is an amazing thing. I'm going to get on this list. Uh, I will tell you that there are so many people that I know are in the same boat that I am. I want to be able to give as much as I can, as often as I can, but I want to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. Um the warnings that people put out there are legitimate when you see people panhandling and they say, listen, you don't know what they're spending that money on. If someone's suffering from an addiction, are they really going to buy food with it or are they going to further their addiction? So it's better for you to give your your dollars to a reputable organization that's making sure it's done the right way. That's a legitimate thing to say to people. And that's one of the things that they do in programs like this is verifying the need that it's real and making sure that the dollars are going to wherever that need is, whether it's directly to the power bill or to the mechanic or whatever it is, the, the you know, the landlord. Um, and so it was it's another area where if you think about this from a community level, um, 
200 bucks to keep someone's lights on or 200 bucks for a car repair so they can get to work to stay in their home is a lot less expensive than when they're on the streets and require services. And many times those services aren't available and those people are living in that car. So if you want to get involved, check them out. Check out Angels on Call and see if it's something that you can or you want to do. Um, Again, it's a difficult. Some people have a lot of time to give. Some people have some money to give. Some people have a little bit of both. Whatever you can do, I think, is helpful, and I just love being a part of the community. Uh, at Broomhead KTAR is how you find me on Twitter. At Broomhead Show update you on our guests for the show. Uh, Mike Broomhead, all one word, on Instagram is where you can find me. Tomorrow, we are back out at the NFL Experience at the Phoenix Convention Center for our final day of the week and a walk-up to Super Bowl. I hope you can listen to the show for part of your day tomorrow. Thanks for being with us for part of your day today. Until tomorrow morning, have a great day, everyone. God bless.